All right, and we're we're starting. Welcome to chapter three. I'm sure you'll be able to tell. Um, I've been struggling with laryngitis, but I promise this is Brenna. <laughs> uh, this is Amy, and this is Reagan. And we are the Continental Writing Club, so welcome and thank you for joining us for the third chapter of our writing adventures. Tonight, today, this time, at the recording, <laughs> I am eating a loaf of bread and drinking a delicious Rainier. I'm just having a chocolate milk because every now and then I am a child and I like milk. Deal with it. Hydration is for weaklings. I drink nothing. <laughs> we did just give her many wine. Anyway, mini wine. Mini wine. Mini wine as in one glass. <laughs> one glass of wine with several bubbles. There were several bubbles. Yeah, you had a glass of giggles at lunch, but um apparently that was all the booze she needed. So we're not we're not starving you. We're not depriving you. You're choosing it. Look, they're they've captured me. I'm tied to this chair and they are refusing to give me bubbles. What did we talk about cries of help? What did we t- what did we say about it? I'm sorry, no cries of help, no cries of help. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not on the recording. Save that for when you're in the cupboard. Oh my god, in the cupboard. Harry Potter? What yeah, we're like, what Harry Potter? <laughs> I've been so watching. No help will come for okay, you. Okay, that's on me. I have been rewatching the DVDs. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. So uh, let's do the thing we're podcasting about. Um, so for chapter three, I don't know if you guys listen to chapter two, but... Uh, the... Prompts, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Okay, yeah, the prompts. Uh, they were your prompts. <laughs> yeah, I don't, um. I don't remember. I'm kidding. <laughs> they were um, to write a story about someone that was indulged, someone that was deprived, or someone that was creating. And um, yeah, I think we came up with some good stories, so let's read them out loud. Since they were my prompts, uh, you'll go Amy, last. I'll go yeah, first. Yeah, Amy, yeah. you get to read first. All right. Yeah. Onward, young um. Amy. Oh, also, um, in case you don't listen to all of our stories today, because my voice is horrible and it's just really annoying you keep in mind you can go online to the continentalwritingclub.com or find us on facebook instagram twitter maybe even snapchat if i get my shit together so uh, yeah that, that snapchat's gonna be all you i don't interface with snapchat it's just gonna be like books i'm reading in my cat so <laughs> so like your normal snapchat yeah exactly all right um but yeah so we'll start the stories feel free to reach out to us uh, we oh, just had someone also yeah i was gonna say definitely check out our instagram because we're going to be posting the first bits of fan art we've received from chapter one we're very yeah, excited we get the first member of the tangential continental club you know you want to join you know you want to be part of it we might, might even make pins in there the might be patches yeah or patches or something follow us follow us anyway <laughs> yeah once we have more than like three people in mm-hmm. the tangential continental club maybe then we'll do some extras yeah either way though we love um that we've inspired other people who create things to make things and we are excited if you do that to see what it is so please send it to us yeah i mean we've gotten a couple of people that we know personally saying how much they've enjoyed it and how much they're interested in it so please if you don't know us personally you just want to reach out to say wow, this is horrible, or hey, yeah. I really like that one story, but why did you choose to put them this way? Or if you're like, We hey, enjoy all of it, so. Brenna, never ever write a story about an erection again. <laughs> or like, you know, I don't know, you guys should curse less. Why are you drinking so much? <laughs> Not happening. Your grammar's bad. Whatever Your grammar's bad. My grammar, fine. <laughs> <laughs> just, just any feedback, basically, would be super nice, so. Interact yeah. with us. <laughs> and thank you for listening. So now... We'll start. All right. So, um, for, aside. <laughs> for my prompt, I went with someone deprived. Um, and this, this story 
which I several weeks later titled, is called Anchorite. She sits quietly on the stone bench, her gaze unfocused. She can see the workers, watches them place stone and mortar over the doorway. The men keep glancing at her, bowing their heads in supplication whenever they think they have caught her eye. She is not looking at them, though she sees them. She is looking elsewhere. It is never truly quiet in her room. She hears the church bells, the prayers. A small grilled opening near the stone bench lets her peer at the altar, lets her witness sermons daily. The villagers come every day, a handful of them, and she hears the rasp of their cow's skin on the stone walls as they walk by. In the morning, she hears the birds, and at night, she hears the coyotes in the distance. Her hearing sharpens every day. A small hole to the side allows her to pass her chamber pot out and receive food and water. She is given little and eats less. Randomly, she is given water and a rag to cleanse herself, but she cleans herself half-heartedly before returning the items. She never truly sleeps. At least, it seems that way when she cannot tell the difference between her dreams and reality. She is surrounded at all sides by gray stone, and it is all she sees when she closes her eyes. She prays most of the time. She prays for safety, for happiness, for comfort. She talks with God about health and peace and prosperity. She reminds him of the need for food and shelter and warmth. It isn't for her. In the cell, it would be pointless anyway. She's lost all track of the days, does not know how long she's been sealed away, when the whisper comes. First, she hears the sound of cloth, swishing gently as it draws closer to her cell. Then the rasp on stone, a click of something. A ring? Against one of them, as a rhythmic tapping starts up. She shifts on her bench, leaning forward slightly, in a vague sense of curiosity. I'm in trouble, the voice whispers, barely making its way through the tiny window for air and light, the only vestige of the door that had been sealed shut. I don't know what to do. She hasn't spoken in so long, it does not surprise her that she cannot do more than rasp around the words she wishes to say. She still has a mouthful of water in her jug, and she drinks it down. They say you're a holy woman now, the voice continues. Maybe you have answers. Maybe you can talk to God for me. I'm not a priest, she finally manages to say, her voice so soft she fears the other will not hear her. That's kind of the point, the voice replies. I'm pretty sure Father Donovan would throw a fit if he knew, and he'd definitely tell my parents. A pause. I'm Maria. The name means nothing to her, but she can picture the girl. Experience tells her she is short, with baby fat hidden by expertly applied makeup learned through YouTube and her friends. Jeans and a t-shirt that hug her budding, or perhaps fully developed, figure. Large earrings. Multiples, maybe. Hello, she says, still so softly. I'm pregnant, the girl blurts, in a hushed whisper that still sounds too loud. My boyfriend, he's been so good to me, and he never forced me. He was always willing to use protection because my family would shit bricks if I got knocked up and it would be a race to see if my brothers, my father, or my uncles would kill him first. Maria is starting to cry. She can hear it in the girl's voice. But the condom broke. I bought three different tests at three different stores, to be sure. Went out of town so no one would know, and now I don't know what to do. She was definitely crying now, the sobs seeping through the cold stone. God is not trying to punish you, she says, putting her hand on the wall closest to where she thinks the girl is standing. Leaning, maybe. Sure feels like it, Maria blubbers. I can't have a kid. I'm too young. And I'm not smart enough to be a mom and go to school at the same time. And I want to go to school so I can get out of this dumbass town. Vince is a nice guy, but he won't be a good dad right now. And he doesn't need that in his life either. She stares at the mortar in the stone, sees the tiny pockets on the surface that makes it rough. She traces a finger along it, feels the strength of it. There are many who want a child in their lives. Assuming my parents don't kill me, I'm not sure how well adoption would go over. Mom's already been pestering my sister for kids, and she's only been married for a month. 
She's only 19, too. What isn't mentioned, of course, is the third option. One, to keep it. Two, to adopt it out. Three, to terminate it. It's a harsh word, one used to harass and cajole and prey on the fears of the populace until the third option wasn't really an option anymore. Clinic after clinic lost to fear and paternalism. She despaired at the harm it would cause. She knew the nearest clinic that could help was well over 500 miles away, and that was assuming the neighboring state hadn't shut it down since she'd been shut in. And if Maria was underage... What do I do? Maria whispered, her voice breaking. Can you write something down? A sniffle. I got my cell phone, yeah, hold on. A pause. Okay, go. She gives the girl an address. Ask for Helena. Tell her La Llorona sent you. You'll be given the help you need, whatever you decide that is. Counseling, adoption services, or other assistance. She's discreet, won't contact your parents, and is a great listener. Are you talking about... Maria's voice had a bit of shock in it. But I thought, I mean, this is a church and you're... God is not punishing you, she repeats firmly, filled with conviction. Her voice is stronger, rings out a bit as it echoes in the stone room. I won't say he works in mysterious ways or that he's too busy to spend his time punishing everyone or any other trite phrases. She nods to herself, feeling the strength of her words. I can't speak for the reasoning, but I know it to be true. God is not punishing you and he will not judge you for your choices. You have the right, the responsibility to make them, and no one knows better than you what to do with your body, not even him. Maria is crying even harder now, harsh sobs. She can feel them through the stone, feel the girl's body heave in distress and relief as she leans against the wall. He will love you in all of your choices, she whispers. The girl doesn't say anything when she leaves. There is simply the sound of her walking away, the fading away of sniffles. She leaves her hand on the stone, feeling the natural coolness war with the warmth infused by human touch. Her other hand drifts to her stomach as she traces the scars through the rough cloth of her shift. She mourns for the could-have-beens. She burns righteously for the hardship Maria and others like her face. She prays and hopes that she can help them all. Your story is so hard. <laughs> um, it's beautifully written, and it's uh, really, like, that's, that's some heavy subject matter. Yeah. I mean, it fully fits deprived. It, that's harsh. And until you'd written the story, I had no idea that that was something that is the Catholic Church that does. I, I believe it's the Catholics who do it, but it's, I don't actually remember. I looked up the history of anchorites when I was writing it because I had heard the phrase before and I knew the basic concept, but I wanted to actually know more. Um, but they, it's been a, a thing for five, six, seven hundred years now. I where people get sealed up in churches, essentially. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. Yeah. And, and you wouldn't think it would still be allowed. Yeah. Something about, you know, rotting flesh on your premises if they don't, if they do die. Like, uh, and are they allowed to, do you leave them there when they die? Do they, no, they die you, take, in there? you take them out. You have to take them out. I think. And they're just like little rooms sealed in, in churches? They're, yeah. It depends on the anchorite. So some anchorites would be sealed in rooms attached to churches. Some would be, like, basically just, like, it would be a room in the church, but they'd be allowed to leave and, like, go and sit for services mm -hmm. and things. So it wasn't quite sealed in. It really depended on the time frame and who it was. Right. Um, it's still very monastic. Regardless yeah, it of is. Freedom. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and is the point, like, penance through deprivation? Penance it's through... It's not really about penance. Is it more like... I almost said Buddhist, but I'm honestly might not be saying that correctly. So it might not be Buddhism that does this as well. But the deprivation to try and reach enlightenment, like just 
That might be closer to the meditative to quality of it. Because they're holy people. They're not people who are paying penance. Is, yeah. Because they're holy people. So. Are they like, and this is again completely showing off my ignorance for how church at all works. <laughs> but is it like, because um, if it's not a penance, if it's, it, and they're holy people, is it like something that a nun would do or just like a really, really devout follower? It's. I think it was usually like nuns and, and monks who would do it. Not okay. always. But usually nuns or monks. Wow. Makes sense. Yeah. And then your character in this story, as the anchorite, she's got obviously some hard history of her own. Yes. And and just her entire life sounds uncomfortable and isolated and yeah. deprived. But you, not going to lie. I think it, there's something about it, about that total cutting away of everything in your life. That I think sounds really refreshing. I am so hedonistic. I'm uh, not. <laughs> I mean, I am now, but I seriously considered being a nun for a large part of my youth, but not for the fact that I'm not religious and you know, am cruel. My I would sister have wanted to be a nun, a nun too. She like wanted to run an orphanage and be a nun. Oh, and I not want to do that. I wanted to take a vow of silence and disappear kids, somewhere. But no, I'm like way too much of a non-religious extrovert. I was like, I, I have trouble not leaving my apartment and talking to people. So you're more the Whoopi Goldberg kind of nun. <laughs> yeah, I'm very sister act kind of nun. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> Yeah, this, ugh, deprivation. Ugh, yeah. why? And it's, you know, I like to Can you to guys ha- tell I'm Jewish? Sorry. <laughs> I like, obviously, putting multiple aspects of the same prompt in, in my stories. So it's it's the deprivation, like, she's deprived by being concealed, but it's also she is deprived of human contact. She's... Deprived of just warmth from other people. The cold yeah. stone wall that actually bothered me more than anything is like she gets infrequent water for her own baths. I'm sorry, I just fully cut you off. <laughs> but like the the imagery that you were sharing in the story about how like the wall was fighting her with her own warmth, but at the same time, like her residual heat was an like a small comfort. Yeah. Oh, that's just yeah. Yeah. It's so broken. Um, <laughs> it then, made me feel chilly and uncomfortable. Yeah. But then there's also, I wanted to show the deprivation of support that um, is showcased by the lack of, like, women's services. You know, yeah. it's it's depriving people of, of options and of rights and the control over their own bodies. But the large part, from my understanding of, like, Christian and Catholic churches, things like that, is that that, that third option... Is not an option. Is not an option. But I will also say that if you look at the more vocal, like, Catholic nuns, mm-hmm. a lot of them are actually yeah, there's pro, some, pro-choice. There's because, some badass nuns. Like, there's the ones who, like, uh, did all the... Oh, I'm losing all of my words right now. It was uh, rebellions, and they actually got, like, arrested for protesting against, like, nuclear war yep. and mm-hmm. Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Certainly, like, I know there are those nuns, yeah. but... Um, and a lot of them will complain over the fact that um, those there are those who are pro-life who only care about the like the fetus, but as soon as the child is born, they don't want to provide services to support that child. Yeah, you know, so so people who maybe couldn't afford to have a kid, but then are forced to by the lack of options. Now they don't can't they still can't afford to have that kid. Have so now they're still criticism. two lives suffering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's so they're they're very much is talk amongst a, a certain sect of, of Catholic nuns that, about how being pro-life is more than just being anti-abortion. Just for, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that is so heavy. And 
you put so much in there. I'm glad that you, th you thought so hard about this story, obviously. And I, I remember not just you reading aloud, but when we read them and mm -hmm. reviewed them, um, the imagery, the idea of, of an anchor, right? They're like, oh, there's so many things that I am learning. I will say from this that I did not. And I, I this is my fault as well. Technically, the fe for females, it's anchoress, but I keep like I don't remember mm. the term anchoress. I just remember anchorite. Oh. Anchoress. Mm. Yeah. And like that's an interesting word choice too for what that we you've described they, they do and what their the point of it is. It's not if it's not penance and this is just a, a way of reaching enlightenment is by depriving yourself. Yeah. But you're called an anchor in the church. Either I it's like you're you are literally forming the link that that church has with God. Yeah, like, you like you're anchoring that presence and that sort of face. Holiness and everything. Like, yeah. that's, and then people go speak to you through the wall, I mean, with their problems. It's... That's not necessarily how it works for, for anchorites. They're not there to take confessions or anything. It was just, um, I mean, I'm sure they do hear people talk to them, but they're, they're not. They're there for themselves. They're there for themselves. <laughs> it's, it's. It's not about how other people interact with them. It's supposed to be about their relationship with God. Oh. And that's it. Okay. It's just, that was not the story I wanted to tell. Right, right, um, right. And I will say that the Catholic Church today um, does not actively promote, but it is not prohibited. Okay. So they're, they're I don't actually know if there are any like anchorites. Whole... Exorcism yeah. isn't really kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, but if you contact us, there's a special line. <laughs> or if you need it, there's a hotline. Yeah. But so, so I don't know if there are any anchorites in the world now, but it, hmm. they wouldn't be like promoted by the Catholic Church. Right. But the Catholic Church has not put out anything saying, don't do this. It just, it just feels very much like the caged bird swings, sings the sweetest, mm. you know? Okay. Well, okay. Great story. Thanks. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I learned so much about Catholicism. <laughs> Which is funny because I haven't been a Catholic for like 20 years. But you were baptized, so it counts. I was baptized. <laughs> I was not confirmed, but I was baptized. Okay, I was going to say, you can't do the other parts if you had not the first part, so. Yeah. I was also baptized. Confirmed is like when you're 12? It, it varies. You it take is. classes. Oh. Yeah. That sounds technical. And you were also baptized Catholic? Yep, Roman Catholic. Nice. Mm -hmm. Guys, I am not living up to my Irish roots here. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks, Mom and Dad. I know. My soul is saved. Never mind what I've done to it since then. Irish and Jewish. Let's figure it out. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. What did you do? What was your problem? Okay. I did... Well, I did technically indulgence, but I got so caught up in writing this intro part because it was really vivid in my mind, and so it doesn't ever even touch on indulgence. In fact, it sounds quite the opposite. So also, trigger warning if people are extra sensitive to suicidal topics. Uh, yeah, spoiler. Um, but it's about indulgence. And so I guess I'll ramble about it at the end when I explain yeah. where I was going with it. And anyway. Okay. Let's jump in. Jumping right on in. And there's a no name because I don't title any of my stuff. <laughs> in art or otherwise. Unknown. Unnamed. There were a lot of reasons for Max to be on that bridge. Most of them were stupid, the kinds of things that you don't even notice when the sun is shining and you have laughter in your heart, but some of them were heavier, too. Max let the wind tug at his jacket, scarf, and hat like an overeager lover making up after a bitter fight. Max didn't even move a muscle to keep the hat from being taken. He stood, numb, and allowed it to escape free on the turbulent storm currents. His only response was a pang of jealousy at the hat's apparent delight. 
Max took one winter-chapped knuckle and rubbed at the grit in each eye. The slow accumulation of sleepless nights and vacant staring clung with impressive defiance. It felt like a lifetime since Max had been able to think without meeting the sandpaper rub of exhaustion. Max turned his tired eyes out to the skyline. The city seemed to mirror his own weariness. Winter always made it look so worn and sluggish, wrapped in bundles of snow and steam clouds. The cold grays, dusky purples, and cadet blues covered everything, and Max thought, even hoped, that perhaps the city would never wake. It had entered perpetual slumber, an undying sleep that dragged the rest of them down with it. Max was willing to bet the damned thing wouldn't offer any dreams, either. Dreams were too good. No one deserved them. Not really. Not anyone in that cursed place. No, only nightmares would do, Max decided. A ship blared its foghorn from some distant, invisible pier, and it sounded so pitifully lonely, the only other thing awake in the entire world. But it would be morning soon enough. Anxiety stirred awake in Max's gut. He silently urged the night to hold a little longer, and for a moment he thought perhaps it had worked. The sun was still unborn, a mere idea on the edges of the horizon, barely illuminating the swaths of muted dusk with the faintest of blushes. Those blushes were as clear an indicator of the end as to rival hellfire and blood rain, and Max nervously cracked his knuckles, ignoring the stiff complaints this garnered. The cold had settled into Max's bones, and he felt a slight longing for the lost hat as winter nibbled at the edges of his exposed ears. The blush crept higher up the cloud bank. With a sort of masochistic spite, Max tore free the scarf and then the jacket and let both be taken by the growing storm. Their flights were maddening in the harsh wind, folding, flapping, and wrenching this way and that as they were taken a good distance away from the bridge. They eventually met with the water, as all things would. It was a pact between the river and the bridge. The river allowed the bridge to ferry things across, but, should anything fall beyond the bounds of the bridge's snaking sides, they would be tribute to the river's fury. Looking out, Max wondered which would be worse, hellfire or the icy bite of that river. Max exhaled through his cold-burned nostrils, remembering to breathe as the scarf and jacket were swallowed up in the brackish waters. Unlike them, Max still could breathe. Max was still alive. At least for the moment. But what was a moment worth? There had been so many moments before, countless, infinite, cascading falls of time, and most of them had passed without notice. Had any of them held true worth? Considering them now, Max thought they had, but hadn't he squandered most of them? He clenched his jaw and found himself moving. He gripped the railing and felt the sudden cold sap what precious little remaining warmth he had from each hand. Holding on too tight, afraid that feeling and control had fled him along with the warmth, Max hopped over the barricade. With heart thrumming wildly beneath a too thin button-up, Max readjusted his grip so that the river was in full view, yawning out before him. Though he knew it was unlikely, the wind felt far more vicious on the outside of the barricade. Even nature knew you were not supposed to clamber along the sides of bridges, stupid humans, and it was shouting its warnings at Max with unwarranted ferocity. For a moment, Max almost thought the wind cared. As the first rays of sunlight cut along the bottoms of the clouds and the outlines of the distant buildings, Max felt panic flare up like a firework rattling about his ribcage. It was sudden and wild and nearly enough to make Max fall there and then. The desire to hop back over to safety was almost overwhelming, but with effort and control, Max held fast and still on the narrow ledge. If only hesitation and self-control had been friends to Max sooner, this bridge fiasco could have been avoided. But it was too late for those things now, so far and away from mattering as to be figments of dreams. 
except Max had already decided that there were no dreams to be found here. As the first sliver of sun crept up over the mountains and flashed through breaks in the rolling storm clouds, harsh, glaring light radiated off of every glassy surface. The shimmering reflections were like razor-sharp lines of molten gold slicing through what had been a soft and undefined twilight. Max suddenly hated the sun. It was cruel, it was certain, it left no room for ambiguity. In the pre-dawn monochrome blur, Max had had room to hope, but the sunlight laid bare reality. Looking down at the violent waves, rioting far beneath the bridge, Max felt a rush of futile emotions. Fear and desperation, regret, anger, it all collided, mixing and flaring, slamming through Max's nerves like a freight train, leaving a clammy sweat in its wake. He was hyper-aware of everything around him, then, and it was all suffering. The cold was painful, the white-knuckled grip of Max's hands was painful, the knotted muscles of his clenching jaw were painful, the bitter storm looked ready to chew up the city as cruel pellets of sleet began dropping from the writhing clouds above. The decision was made before Max really had time to think it through. Just a sudden, this is it, and then the horror at feeling all safety lift up and away behind him, the sickening lurch as his stomach tried to find where it had misplaced its gravity. Things moved in ways they shouldn't, rising up towards him impossibly fast and curling around his narrowing vision like a massive flower, ready to embrace him. He could no longer tell if the world was moving around him or he was crashing through it, and for a brief, delirious moment, he thought he was actually flying. Alas, he was not. Max plummeted towards the madly glinting waters. Eyes wide, pupils dilated, shattered glass reflections blindingly bright against the water's velvety depths. It was all too fast, and yet... Time froze and Max remembered. It's easy to miss the steady progression of events when you're in the midst of them. What should be done and what will never be done are often regrettably intertwined. It's only when you look back that things seem so simple, neatly arranged in tidy stacks and rows and columns. Even the momentous things grow trivial when you see it all that way, reduced to minimalistic flow charts and graphs. You did this thing and so the result was that thing. You lied so many times and drank too much such and such occasions. You did or didn't follow that dream, that goal, that plan. So simple. It was really so simple. Max clambered over the stacks of data and dug through the piles at the end of the farthest row, under the oldest boxes, amid faded construction paper cutouts and macaroni kittens, under rainfalls of loose glitter, Max found the dusty old memory. There are often several beginnings in life and several beginnings to events. Without one influence or another, perhaps an interest would never be sparked. But additionally, without winning a match, the confidence to pursue that interest wouldn't have grown, and so on. All moments are like trees, with roots that spread out and out, tangled and twisting around themselves, reaching into various points in your life. But this, this was a true beginning. Joining the basketball team? That had numerous soft beginnings. Even existing had numerous beginnings, spreading back before one's own life and connecting to that of parents and their choices, lifelines that connect one generation to the next. Max folded in, curling around the memory of a true beginning, the start of everything that had gone wrong. All the bitterness, all the regret, all the mistakes receded by that moment. With desperation, Max begged the moment in time to make amends for what it had done, for it to never have been at all. The memory glimmered, a soft and slow reenactment of a sunrise over the violent river. And Max shivered and turned from the thought. There was only the old memory for now. Max drifted quietly into it. Yeah. Good job, man. So I started with suicide, but <laughs> that's the end of the story, really. Yeah. My initial goal for this was 
more of a fairy tale scenario in which as a child he gets lost and is going to die like stranded but a fae like creature just loves him loves this little human wants to keep it alive and gives him the ability to change the course of actions to make however many numbers of wishes but she doesn't tell him how many he has he just says take this trinket whatever item i was going to come up with later uh, take this magical item that i've imbued with my love for you and wish for what you need so he's gonna wish to find his mom or something so that starts a chain of events that are essentially him wishing away all of his concerns until he's maybe wished himself into a job and screwed over his friend and now his friend's life goes downhill or wished his way through college without actually learning the information so now he can't get a job like just a yeah. chain event of taking it easy and doing what he wanted indulging in the easy things yeah. until he's essentially left with no choices left and he's fucked up everything and apparently it's kind of apocalyptic here I don't really know how I was going to get there, but that's where my brain was going. So he has to die to to reverse it all and to it's, fix it. <laughs> it's good that you explained it because I did not get the whole fae influence there. Yeah, because I didn't even write it. I didn't even get there. <laughs> I will say, though, for the story that you did pen, absolutely beautiful description. There Thank are you. so many turns of phrase in there that, like, delight me. Yikes. And you're... Not only do you set a scene, but you like really you you make it viscerally, make it tactile. Um, and there's so many things there that just like, like I've I've seen that river. I felt the wind feel like it was more menacing without that safety. I mean, like there's so many things there, and then just that whole idea of this was a true beginning. That's I think the only thing in that story that I was like. Okay, I get the soft beginnings. I get that, like, this is like trees. I get the interconnectedness. and I. But how is this one different? How is this a true beginning? Fay so, magic. That's how. Fay magic. It was really good. I like it a lot. Thank you. I think my favorite part is when you're describing going back and finding the memory. It's all the stacks of data. Yeah. You would like the stacks of data. <laughs> Great luck. <laughs> it's just, it makes me think of, like, being in an old attic and, and digging through it for... For like ancestral memories, it's yeah. like where's grandma's you know photo album or can we talk about what the fuck macaroni kittens are? <laughs> do you do you, did you never have to make macaroni shaped things? Macaroni or, art, yeah, you macaroni. just glue Wait, macaroni, macaroni art. shaped things or things that are made with macaroni shaped <laughs> shaped with macaroni. Yeah, noodles. you glue no. you glue dried macaroni noodles onto construction paper. You've never no. enjoyed My mom's an artist. No, I had to like blind contour. Well, I think but... that's awesome because I fucking hated macaroni art. I hated I it not. as a child. Hold on, you just draw something and glue and you put macaroni on it? You, yeah, but you Bacon. glue. You have to glue the noodle to the paper and it doesn't want to stay and it's so... And you have to deal with the shape and of the it, macaroni it's noodle. Cooked. It's a dry noodle. It's a dry, it's a dry noodle. noodle. So then I, you've got these curls. <laughs> that would actually be easier. Well, because then they're noodle. starchy. You could shape them. Yeah. Because uh, they soak through the paper and tear it. I I mean, just get a stronger paper. I don't know. Use cardboard, but I do yeah. not get schools. Okay, macaroni whatever. kittens. <laughs> macaroni kittens. Because okay, when you first said that, I did not know that it was glued to paper. <laughs> so I thought like, you like built a cat out of macaroni, like pipe cleaner, but macaroni. <laughs> yeah, like a little cat statue made of macaroni. That would be amazing and way more industrious. I think, but no, no, these were sad. Now I'm surprised that there hasn't been an art school project that is <laughs> oh, statues of, of I mean, kittens out of macaroni pieces. I'm sure, I'm sure there has been. I'm sure there second, has been. Second question here. Are they with cats or is it just like fish or something? Anything. It's like anything. It's whatever anything it's, it's, you want to make. A macaroni, macaroni art. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Usually you have to do like self-portraits and there's the different colors of macaroni. Pasta? Pasta portraits? Pasta portraits. <laughs> <laughs> pasta portraits. 
They do not get public schools, you guys. Uh, look, it's just, I think they just fill the time. Like, we're doing things, we have your children, we're going to fill the time with something. And I mean, like, I get it, like, pasta's probably cheaper than crayons. And it's, you have to, dexterity, you know. Yeah, like, and then wow. you have your tiny fingers the to make noodle things. things. What you, pasta Jesus. Wow, that's Cheeses. Really, it's it, macaroni and cheeses. It is. <laughs> it is. We just looked at an image, by the way. We looked at a picture of a pasta Jesus. It's really good. Yeah. Really good. She pulled up macaroni art on her phone, and uh, apparently some people take this shit seriously. Oh, they do. Other, like, that's okay. more Aww. in line with what you would find yeah. That's in super cute. It's, it's a, a little, noodle snail. It's a noodle snail. It's a snail with a shell on its back made out of shell pasta, by Ooh. the way. So that kid was thinking, Ooh. good on you, kid. I see a bright future in front of you. It was like you. a 20-year-old. Probably. <laughs> I mean, it said the 25 best Pinterest things was a little caption, so oh. it's, it's probably an adult. It, it, I, am, I, am, I might be a kid. Um, Whatever. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. I got hung up on a weird detail. That's okay. uh, at some point, this Max apparently made macaroni art as a child, and yeah. he just had to get past it. So yeah, I did. Everyone has to get past it. <laughs> Everyone has to. Brenna, fucking move on. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. There was one turn of phrase. There was a paragraph that I I remember when we previewed this. I read oh. like three times because um, it was so beautiful. I remember you telling me right was... here. Oh, that whole. As the first sliver of sun crept up above the mountains and flashed through breaks in the rolling storm clouds, harsh, glaring light radiated off of every glassy surface. That whole <laughs> descriptive paragraph, I could see it, I could smell it, I could feel it. Ugh, it made me so happy. Yay! You really, like, your ability to describe, as someone who who struggles with description. Yeah. To describe regularly. aesthetics, scenes, the, the, the tactile things. Never mind getting to plot, but I will paint you a garden <laughs> with my word mouth things. <laughs> Look, I think it comes out of an obsession with descriptive words. I love them. And when I used to come across them in old, you know, no. I almost said archaic script. In old books, <laughs> in classics and whatnot, <laughs> uh, I would just sit there and reread them and reread them. I like the mouthfeel of descriptive words, I guess. there's Yeah, so and I, I think the way you yeah. arrange them, it just it absolutely communicates so effectively to me, at least. And I, I do love the old descriptive words as well in the books. <laughs> the that archaic script. I, well, I, love, I love authors that are description heavy, like Tolkien and Dickens, and those are my favorite types of, of authors. Though I do distinctly remember trying to reread Tolkien and being like, we get it, everything's green, and here's a shrub, and there's a shrub, we get it. Yeah, but I want so to know I've, the difference I fear, of the shrubs. I want I to know how, who's afraid of the river, which hobbits can be there. I want to know it all. <laughs> Describe to me an egg, J.R. or Tolkien, and use three pages. Uh, which is interesting because I have a hard time reading stuff that is description heavy. I tend to start to skim. It gets yeah until I get back to to writing like actual action that is happening. It's like Like, paint uh, by numbers in my head. Give me the whole picture. Yeah. I mean it's it reflects the way I write as well. It's like I just want I want to know what's happening, not necessarily what like Yeah. The way things look can be important for what's happening, yeah. but sometimes it's literally just there to be there. And I that's try to make it have... be, it, it goes in line with the story. you do a good if, job of that. If it's unnecessary and it's not moving the story forward, then you should probably call it, but yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I just, I really like, I like reading your style of description. Thank you. I like descriptive authors. I like adding, like, unnecessary description in my work. I, I sometimes go back and edit it out. I should probably do more of that. <laughs> 
But uh, no, I really like it. I've been called out before in school when we had to switch the papers around and people would edit, you know, peers would be like, you use a lot of commas. You can chop the sentence up. And I'm like, no, it all is one breath of painful description. (laughs) It makes sense in my head. Yeah, it's not comfortable, but what is? I have definitely gotten that feedback in my writing as well. My sentences are too long. I'm too descriptive. Mm -hmm. And I I tend to, what's the other thing they say? I tend to use words that normal people don't use. (laughs) And I'm like, Uh, that's true. Y'all fuckers need to read, you need to read some shit. (laughs) I I have definitely, despite the fact that I'm not a description person, I have definitely been accused of being too verbose in my writing. Like, I was told, you do mine good words. You do. Yeah. 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 I also, I think, okay, so your writing style, it is less descriptive, but it also, you have menacing descriptions. Because the ambiguity is what you like to play with, and you so like to describe actually benefits that. just enough mm-hmm. to like let your imagination run as the reader, and then you get all Shirley Jackson, and you're like, "Wait a second, why did you bring up that glass vase that looked heavy, and then never mention it again? Is he going <laughs> to kill her with that?" <laughs> That's not a real example, but you know what yeah, I'm but saying. But I like it. That's a perfect... I, I'm uh, going to add a glass vase that's really heavy somewhere along the road. Yeah, you know? it's going to happen. We're all going to have to do that now. Yeah. Oh Challenge accepted. Prompt. Work no. a glass heavy vase into something. Oh, heavy vases are not my writing style. <laughs> You've crossed the line. Uh, right. I, I do. I love your story, though. Thank um, you. I think if you... So, um, part of our writing and part of the CWC is that we started this as a writing group before we made it a podcast, and we wanted to, at the end of the year of doing this every fortnight to go back and vote on what our best short story was so that we would clean it up and have to submit it to, um, a publishing agency. Um, or a slew of them, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Probably. Because you won't know for six plus months. But I mean, like your work will never get published if you don't submit. Right. And your, your work will never get published if you don't go back and edit, if you don't revise, if you don't follow the writing process. Yeah. So this was a way of challenging ourselves. I think if this is the story, which, no offense, I've seen some of your writing. This is not the one that I'm going to vote on. It's good, but but like of the stories you've written, I, I don't think I would choose it either. But yeah, I mean, but I like it. And if you do, if this is the one that you do try and submit, I would add more. That fucking fay element would have really helped some shit. If I add more, though, this is one of those stories. I have this problem. I don't love short stories my brain goes too far into the future this would probably barely be short novellas it'd probably have to be a hell of a lot longer because his life has to fall apart to get to this point oh you don't just like start at the the broken no you can't so that would be a long story (laughs) i don't think it'd be a short story at that point so one i'm not gonna do that okay (laughs) i'll just save it as a side project maybe never touched probably never touched but i mean yeah, that's not going to be. Anyway, we're not talking about the end of the 12-month process. We're not. Yeah, that's not, your story. that's not there yet. I just, I do like the story a lot. Okay. So tell us about your story, Brenna. Yeah. I'm gonna. <laughs> gonna read it out loud. Good. I was um, not being aggressive there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was just deciding if I wanted to cough. Um, and then you were like, so read, Brenna. And I'm like, oh. No, I was trying know. to, like, get a natural segue into continuing the podcast. I'm Brenna sorry. Got I just want Brenna got all weird and aggressive about it. I just won't speak anymore. What? It's it's, no, okay. that's the point of a podcast. Go back to the cupboard at least. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, go in the cupboard. You can't put me in a cupboard anymore, all right? You can't put baby in the corner and you can't put Amy in a cupboard. Well, I'm going to illustrate that. Okay. So for my story, um, 
I thought I would choose one of the prompts and it kind of turned into all of them. Um, so we'll just jump into it. I didn't title this one. Um, I think of it as like a desert story. So I guess I kind of just did a desert story. I like it. Yeah. She was hot. Sweat had dried on her skin and fur. Little patches itchy with the salt that had formed and dried from her sweat. She lolled out her tongue to cool off a little, hoping not to look as foolish as she felt by doing so. She had run over the three hills, past the sometimes river, and avoided a herd of javelina to reach here, where they had all been waiting. She was working. They were waiting. It was always this way with them. She moved her head downward and nodded her deference to the leader of the pack, then told them all where she had found it. The cow, the massive, freshly dead cow, was on the ranch of the Takers. The Takers, so named because they took the dead or dying that were on their land and brought them inside the house, leaving the hunters and the killers without. They were soft, and they didn't shoot at or kill off the hunters, usually. The cow had died on their backland, away from their house, and she had smelled it and found it first. She had found the cow before it had even begun to bloat from the heat. Her nose was the prize of the pack. She led the pack down the valley, its high grasses coming past their heads, concealing their path. Little animals moved and danced around them, hoping not to be eaten or stalked, and all the coyotes ignored them, intent on something larger and more satisfying. They moved as a group into the ravine, and then up out of it again. They passed by the old highway, and walking in ones and twos, crossed the trestle of the old train that hadn't run for generations of coyotes. The ranch with the takers was large, and the freshly dead cow was out on the back paddock. The takers would never even know they were there. At the cow, which had only bloated slightly since the heat of the day had cooled into the evening, she had the honor of the first bite. The pack had surrounded the meat, hungry. This was enough to fill them all, a rarity for the valley. She would be appreciated and honored for this find. Satisfied, happy even, she nosed a little closer to the belly of the cow, distended and taut. She pushed in, grabbing a mouthful of soft belly, pulling and biting it apart from the cow. The signal given, the rest of the pack bit in, eldest and hardest workers, given the choicest cuts. Blood, still warm in the cow, flowed into the sandy dirt below, watering the tall grasses of the valley. The pack ate, gorged, drank the blood and sang to the moon. Yips turned into arias, sang to the valley, their home, their full bellies and luck. The taker's dog, an inside dog, tried to yell at them to be quiet, that it was his valley too, and the coyotes laughed at him, blood on their fur, their feet in the dirt. Sweat dried on her skin, making little craters of itchy salt. The sun was burning her skin, bleaching her hair an even lighter shade of blonde, though it was always bleaching the bones of the long-dead cow in front of her. Mom says we have to come inside for dinner, her brother told her. They had been in the back paddock, playing, trying to catch a crow they could train. Her brother had read that crows were clever, and they wanted a crow to sit on their shoulders and bring them shiny things, like a little desert parrot for their pirate hearts. I'll be in in a minute, she said, lingering over the shape of the bones before her, noticing little bits of leathered flesh still attached, little nicks and scrapes at the bones. Fine, but Mom's going to be mad. Her brother stalked away from her, in gold grass as tall as his waist, swinging a piece of stick that had been a sword only moments before. She waited, soaking in the sun as much as it was bleaching her, and the bones, and the valley. Then she shaded her eyes and scanned the valley, knowing she wouldn't see any of the pack around now, but she would hear them sing in a few hours. 
Boom. That's my super short story. <laughs> so I am the lone person here who has not lived in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Um, nor have I ever lived on a farm or even had animals growing up. Yeah. Um, but despite how short it was, you painted a very stark picture. And it, like, it felt dry. Good. Yeah. I mean, I thank you. I appreciate that. I I was trying really hard to do that. I had just been um, visiting, like, this old rural place in Arizona where I had lived when I wrote the story. And, um, and, like, I wrote it thinking it would be about how this girl who lives in the desert is creating all of this with her mind. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to play in ravines and valleys with my brothers and... Yeah. You know, make make weapons and build these huge imaginative worlds and we'd, we'd always be playing. And so I wanted it to be that, but then it, it ended up being, to me, at least like all three prompts. It's like the, the coyotes who indulged and they had been deprived and then just the deprivation of being in the desert and yeah. trying to live there. And then like creating things around you were like, I've come across so many skeletons of animals in the desert where you're like, how did you die? What were you doing before? How long ago was that? Like, and you start building these stories in your head. And so for me, that was like really inspirational. But I, I don't think I've ever looked at a, a dead animal and been like, "What were you just doing before this?" Hmm. I, always, <laughs> I always do that. Like, I remember this one time, and I can get one of my brothers at least to confirm this. There's a yucca, which is like a type of desert plant that's very spiny, but it's not an actual cactus. And um, we were walking past a bunch of them in this, like, rural area as we were, like, going out into a field. And there was this big-ass lizard, like, the size of my hand, but, like, it was just a skeleton. Hmm. And he had been, like, either someone had thrown him, maybe, like, he was jumping up to it, but he was stabbed through the chest and had clearly died because this yucca had just impaled him. But it was like, why would you jump on a yucca like that? I mean, in that case, I would definitely ask a couple whys, yeah. Right? I mean, flying gone wrong, chicken hawk who couldn't carry the weight and probably dropped him. Yeah. We did have yuccas in Colorado, and my friends and I used to trick people into smoking it. Oh, my God. Oh, come on. That's hilarious. Yeah. What part of it, though? Because you can make a shampoo out of the roots, and you can Um, eat them. The the top portion. Yeah, that's the really spiny part? Yeah. I'm forgetting. Is yucca like aloe? Like No. Like the... I can't picture it's not it. a succulent. Why can't I picture it? Um, it's also candelabra de los dios, with like the the flowers in the mountains even that like come out and it looks like, like candelabra. Oh no, but no, it's not like ocotillo. Yeah, they're kind of like they're. I get what you're saying. Like with the, like the, yeah, they're kind of like aloe. I just showed a picture. You can yeah. Google yucca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I I definitely have spent a lot of time in rural areas and that was really informative to me. So. I, it definitely reminds me of parts of my own childhood of playing in the desert and like like we didn't live in a we didn't have a huge yard or anything. We lived in near other homes and other residential areas. Yeah, you were in the city or suburb area outside of a city, but yeah, yeah. outskirts. But even so, like we could hear the coyotes every night. But my friend lived out in um, Marana and they had a huge property and we would go out there and. Like, you could have a trampoline set up at night, so you'd watch the stars, and it was just so big and empty, and you'd hear all the animals, and you'd hear so much movement, even though it's the desert, and you think, like, everything's dead. But um, Yeah, night's when it comes alive, yeah. and it's, like, night when it cools up. I, so I like this being, like, the day. Everything happens during the day in this story, except for when they are, like, reveling in the night. But also, I keep we keep getting sidetracked with things I wanted to say. I like that it feels like she could be that wolf. Yes. She's very much... 
she has this keen interest in it that her brother doesn't share. She found the cow and then the wolf found the cow. I like that shift where it could have been ages ago that this cow was killed. It could have been this distant thing that she's just imagining. But I like to imagine at late at night, she is somehow a little coyote child. Yeah, just fully warging into the coyotes yes. in the valley. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was that's better than what I wrote. I like that you picked. Well, that you up. wrote it. So. I know you wrote it. That's yeah. what it is. And you talk at the very beginning of both sections about like sweat on the skin. It's yeah. just one is caked in fur and one is on like just skin. I mean, that's that's universal to the desert. That's the whole beautiful yeah. thing. Is like you find <laughs> the cow. Everything. In well, yeah, everything. The salt comes to the surface. Everything is hot. Everything's dry. Everything's part of this cycle. And there are a bunch of little moments in there that I really liked about the boy, about the brother, and um, like. Swinging the stick through the grass that was just a sword. So perfectly reminds me of childhood. Just, you were doing this thing with this realistic thing, but it had just been this amazing thing. Yeah, power and of imagination. There was one sentence that just sounded like a classic story, like classic literature. The bleaching her hair, but it had always be ble- been bleaching the cow and it had always been bleaching the valley. Like just that, I can imagine the sad frontier woman you know, <laughs> burdened with all of the things she must do in the sun bleaching the world. Like, yeah. like in it. perpetuity. <laughs> it just strips out color from everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I was a blonde kid in the desert. I dig. Well, um, so those are all of our stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good job, guys. Yeah. yeah. I feel like go. I feel like if anybody tries to make anything tangential off of this chapter, it's going to be real heavy. <laughs> like, we did not choose the hedonism yeah. that I thought we would be writing about. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because that would have been easy. I actually didn't... I, I wanted to do, the, like, the creating story, but mm-hmm. I didn't choose the indulge because I was like, that's too easy. And then you ended up doing some indulgence anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, I am a hedon. But how about you guys? Did you, like, avoid a prompt for a certain reason? Or I avoided creating. I, for some reason, any of the prompts, we've had a couple now that involve creating or losing the ability to create or having to find a new way to create. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I spend all day, every day creating stuff, you know, as an art student. And as I just don't want to write about the act of creating for some reason. That's fair. It feels like homework. (laughs) I don't really want to write about accounting either. So, you you know. Well, that's great because I do not want to read about it. (laughs) Well, challenge accepted. (laughs) Hmm. Okay. Well, okay. So, uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. And join us next time for the 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 prompts for next time. It's back back again to me. Um, Full cycle. Full cycle. People. Um. So the the prompts this time. Prompt number one, a ceremony. Prompt number two. I like this prompt. (laughs) Pick a bookshelf of your choice. Second shelf, eighth book from the left. Write a story that fits the title. I immediately don't like that prompt. <laughs> yeah, you didn't like it when I first gave it. And I you like it. still don't like it. I like it. the idea of it. No, I really don't. And prompt number three, an artist can no longer work in their chosen medium. Do they quit or change? So obviously that's what <laughs> Reagan will be writing about. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, please reach out to us on all of the social medias. Um, you can find all of them on our main website, continentalwritingclub.com. Yeah, we're on the Facebook. We're on the Insta. And also, and Happy a- New Year! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's look at you being timely. Happy New Year! Put, put, put some milk on it. Put some milk on it. Put some milk on it. I body well. My grammar fine. Are you an ear, nose, and throat doctor? Can you give me tips? <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're good. Just.
just likes to talk to your cats, yeah. okay? It's just, it's, you've learned a new communication. It's mm -hmm. fine. You guys, my dulcet tones here. From the writing clouds. <laughs> Do you not know, know me anymore? You don't know me anymore. She doesn't know me. She's forgotten who you are. Who She's... are you? Why are you in this apartment? How did you get back in your cupboard? <laughs> <laughs> this is the first episode where I have not said right on, okay? Don't know. 